Good morning, everybody. Let's try that uh, as Pastor Victor started. He is risen. That's it. That's right. That's right. And uh, sunrise service, uh, this is my first time doing sunrise service. And I know this has been a historic service for us. From what I understand, Pastor Corey, this is, was the sermon that he preached, I think, in downtown J-Town. And uh, this was the search committee was able to see Pastor Corey preach. And perhaps he preached something similar to this. I know he preached on the resurrection, so we know that. And, um, but it was interesting, this past Good Friday service was such a blessing, and uh, coming in and hearing Pastor Victor preach on how serious the weight of sin required Jesus to go to the cross. All right, he talked about, preached on how the Father had a plan to save us, and he's the one that his wrath on Jesus, and, and because he loves us. Because that was the only way to as I was and I was as I was making my way to the Friday service, you know, I, we live in San Gabriel. I just took my car we're going down, uh, East and um, what happened was like there's a there's a synagogue in Temple City on Long Temple Beth David. This was called Temple House of David. Should I use that? Teamwork. This is how it works. <laughs> And uh, so I was, I was driving by this uh, temple, uh, synagogue, and usually, you know, there's a few cars there, but this, this time it was packed. So I Google, oh, it must be Passover. Sure enough, it, Passover started Friday for, or, for our Jewish friends, and they were having their Seder meal, so it was packed. And they're celebrating, and it's neat to see how Pastor Victor was preaching how Jesus is the Passover lamb. And, uh, and he would be killed on that Good Friday. And then his body would be taken down and buried in a tomb. And all day Saturday, his body would remain in the tomb. And then sometime on early Sunday morning, he, he would be a, a resurrected from the grave. And this is a critical stage for us, and nothing else matters. The resurrection is paramount for Christians. And as I was uh, asked to speak at a um, high school event at Wilson High School, uh, the people asked me, could you teach on why the resurrection is so important to the gospel? I said, of course. And this is what I shared with the, with the people there, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the most important piece of information of all, Paul writes. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, Good Friday, according to the scriptures. God the Father had a plan, prophesied that Christ would die for our sins, and that he was buried. He was buried in a cave with a stone rolled in front of it. And that he was raised on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday being the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul will later on go, go on to say in verse uh, chapter 15, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sin. So if Christ is still in the grave, we are hopeless. But the good news, my brothers and sisters, he is risen, he is out of the grave, the tomb is empty. So let's pray as we uh, get to uh, go to our text today. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, you conquered the grave. You raised Lazarus from the dead. What a preview to what, what would happen. You will raise yourself out of the grave 
to prove without a shadow of doubt that you are the Messiah, that you are God, and you would validate every claim. So God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you that you validate everything through your resurrection. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be at John chapter 20. And, and we'll be at John chapter 21 through 18. I'm just going to take my time to read through the narrative. So please rise and follow along with me as we honor the word. God's word here preached. John 20, verse 1. The Bible speaks. Now on the first day of the week, that Sunday, Mary Magdalene uh, came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, as John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple, that's John, ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him, entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, not, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. He believed. John is huge on belief. Verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now the scene turns back to Mary. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, bawling. And so... As she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, Lord, that you have through us. What an incredible account. What a detailed account that John has of what it was like that first Sunday morning. So, Lord, I pray that your word will be preached with power and conviction by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that everyone in here will love you more through this. Everyone in here will know you more through this, Lord Jesus. Everyone here will become more like you through this, through the preaching of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 
So two topics that we're talking about. First of all, the, the, empty, the tomb is empty. All right. We're going to talk about the resurrection, first of all. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the implications of the empty tomb. All right, and just, just, just a little, before we get started on the sermon, a little sidebar. You know, I, I grew up going to a Seventh-day Adventist church, okay? Seventh-day Adventists believe in going to church on the seventh day on Saturday. All right, as you look in the Old Testament, the Jews would celebrate or go to the synagogue and temple on, on the Saturday, on the seventh day. But right here, verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Now on the first day of the week. All right, why do we worship on Sunday, the first day, right? Why? And in Acts 20, the disciples, followers of Christ, began to gather together on the first day. Because this is the Lord's day. This is the day that the Lord was risen. And so just kind of that helped me reconcile that. Because all as a boy, I was taught, you got this is the day, this is the day. And I was like, you're right, I see this in the Old Testament. But then as I study deeper and deeper, this is the Lord's day. This is why we come together on a Sunday, on the first day, and worship Him. This is the day He validated absolutely everything. Okay, so just a little side note. But just as we talk about the resurrection, we're going to look at the resurrection through the eyes of those, the characters that are here in, in, the, in chapter 20 of John. Peter and John, the disciples. Mary Magdalene is there perhaps at, before the sun rose. And she gets her, she sees a stone rolled away. She thinks immediately, someone stole the body. She's more worried about, okay, Jesus, our Lord, needs a proper burial. This will be a dishonoring thing for someone to take the body. So she runs away right away and gets Peter and John. Peter and John race to the, tent, uh, to the tomb, right? And then if John is a little competitive. He is, he, he's the one who wrote, authored this. He goes, he ran faster than Peter and got to the tomb first. So there's a little competition there. He gets there, but he's, he doesn't actually go in. He kind of peeks in, and then Peter finally gets there. And then Peter, in his, in his style, runs, uh, goes into this tomb. It's like a little cave. It wouldn't surprise me if he had to crouch down to get in there and then sees it, the linen wrappings. And the tomb is empty. And, you know, this, as, I, as in my studies, as I'm taking my master's right now, I took an apologetics course, and there's all kinds of theories that Satan has produced to explain why the tomb is empty. All right, and, we, and, I, and as, if you go to Israel, you know they'll, they'll perhaps they'll show you a tomb site. Maybe it's Jesus's tomb, and it's empty. There's no one in there. There's no bones in there. There's no remains in there. But there's all kinds of crazy theories to explain why in that first Sunday the tomb was empty. One of these uh, one of these uh, theories is called the swoon theory. That's the swoon theory. Basically, says that Jesus was really not dead. All right, Pastor Victor preached on how he was just absolutely mutilated and killed on the cross. There's no way a human being will be alive after that. But even if that, if he was in some kind of comatose situation, he was wrapped up in about 70 pounds of spices and linen wrappings. And how does someone in that condition get out of that, let alone this huge stone that's been rolled in front of him, let alone the, the Roman guards that are there? This is a crazy theory. Another theory is that perhaps the, the women and the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Right? They said, oh, this is the tomb. It's empty. Crazy, right? Joseph of Arimathea donated his tomb. Everyone knew where the tomb was. It's a tomb that was rolled, uh, was covered up. It's a tomb that had the Roman soldiers in front of it. It's a tomb that was sealed. I mean, as, as Pastor Victor preached on 
Good Friday, that was the whole climax. Millions of people were in Jerusalem. Jesus was the deal. You know, there was a, on Palm Sunday, millions, thousands of people were cheering Jesus on. They knew exactly that who was murdered. They knew exactly what was happening. They knew exactly where he was buried. And there's another theory called the hallucination theory. Perhaps Mary and the disciples hallucinated this. They imagined seeing Jesus. But hallucination is a very individual experience, right? But the Bible says that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. He appeared to disciples a couple times. There's no way. It's crazy. But the theory that's been produced in Matthew 28, 13, where the high priest says, tell, the guards come and tell the people that the disciples came and stole the body. All right, that's, that's the theory that, that the, the high priest tried to say. And right here in verse 5, why would there be linen wrappings? If someone came and somehow was able to overpower the Roman soldiers that they're, or perhaps they fell asleep, and somehow they're able to roll open this stone, why would they take the time to unwrap 70 pounds of linen wrappings and drag the body? They would take, if, I, if I was still in the body, I'd take the body right there. So the, John is very detailed on why, what it looked like. In verse 5, it says, And stooping, looking in, John is looking in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. There was a lot of evidence, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. The detail. John goes to the details, and he's writing this as an older man. He, there's no way John forgot any of these things. These things are absolutely seared in his memory and his heart. And then as we look at, to, look at this empty tomb through the eyes of Peter and John, so the other disciple, John, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he, he saw and believed. It was good enough for, for John. He was able to see the empty tomb. He goes, wow, the Lord is risen. That's his conclusion. All right? He believed. Now let's go to the eyes of Mary now. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is the first one to see the empty. The tomb is rolled open and it's empty. And, but she has a different reaction. She didn't go, hallelujah, the Lord is risen. She's like, oh my goodness, someone stole the Lord's body. Right, different reaction. And so she goes off looking for help. Perhaps Peter or John will be able to help. And the team, and it wasn't enough. She was bawling, the Bible says. As I look, you look into the original language, it's the word weeping. She was bawling. You know, I mean, this, this woman absolutely loved Jesus. And her question is, where is his body? Where are they stolen, taking his body, perhaps? She needed evidence. She needed to see Jesus in the flesh. And in verse 15 of John 20, this is a very tender scene. Jesus said to her, woman, this is a term of endearment. This is not like a disrespectful term. Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you bawling uncontrollably? Jesus asked. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. I love that. Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. I will take care of his body. And we will honor his death by taking care of his body. She said, this is a, who knows? She said, I'll do this myself. This is an absolute devoted woman to Christ. 
Details. Details. And in verse 16, Jesus said to Mary, boom, it hits her right now. In John 10, 3, 4, as we preach on the good shepherd, it says that the sh- my sheep will know my voice and I will call them by name. She chose Mary. And the only way that the Jesus could say Mary, and she knew right away, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And it says, and her immediate response, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. She goes, teacher, it's you. And this is where things turn. And she's the first one to see the resurrected Christ. She's the first person. Peter and John were not the first ones to see the resurrected Christ. John perhaps believed because she, he saw the empty tomb, but she, she's the one that God chose to see the resurrected Christ. And it's interesting, and, and just, it's just preaching through John. This is basically the la, second to last chapter of John, but just preaching through John, you be, you, I'm able to see kind of how the, the, the Lord's heart in this. If you remember, John... Uh, talks about the woman at the well in John chapter 4, all right? the Samaritan woman, the immoral woman who, who's had many husbands and the one that she was living with wasn't her husband. And God, Jesus, actually chooses her as the first person to reveal, say, hey, woman at the well, I am the Messiah. Before that, he never really declared that so clearly. This is the first time. And she, she has a privilege of, of, of knowing that. In John chapter 4, it goes on to say she, 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 she's absolutely amazed at what Jesus is able to tell her about her history. Only a way that God would know. And then she goes off running back to Sychar, her town, and evangelizes the city. Right? Now let's go back to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene... Okay, I've been to her, uh, Magdala, there's a city called Magdala in, in Galilee, in Israel. It's in the western part of the Sea, uh, sea of Galilee. This is a whole uh, uh, setup set up for her and, and, and kind of a beautiful, the Catholics uh, have a, a chapel and, and, and tours and all things set up. But Mary Magdalene was someone who the Bible says was possessed by seven demons, all right. Doesn't talk anything about her any sexual immorality or anything like that. But she was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus reveals, uh, heals her, and then she becomes a devoted, loyal follower. The Bible says she was one of the people that traveled around with the disciples and Jesus. Absolute loyal. Jesus captured her heart. Jesus gave her dignity from the very beginning when nobody else gave her dignity. Jesus healed her from this bondage, and she was all. All of her heart was for Jesus. And she was one of the, those who were at the, at, at the cross. She comes to the tomb, absolutely, absolutely loyal. And Jesus uses her to go back and evangelize the disciples. Hey, I've seen the risen Lord. She goes running back, and this is what the Lord says. What does that tell you about the Lord? I mean, 2,000 years ago, women were not treated well whether in Jewish culture or Roman, Greco-Roman culture. Right? Not only that, Jesus uses two questionable women at that. The woman at the well and a demon-possessed woman, seven demons in this woman at one time. It just goes to show you God uses humble people. God doesn't care about what the world says is a value. God doesn't care about reputation. 
God doesn't care about education. God doesn't care about gender. God doesn't care about status. God uses humble women to evangelize. If you want to be useful to the Lord, seek humility. If you want to be a valuable vessel in the master's house, not a clay pot where they take out garbage, but if you want to be a valuable vessel where the gospel, the good news is presented, be humble. And so this is just, I just as I was digging deeper into this text, I was like, wow, Lord, you're amazing. You don't value the things that the, as man values. And Mary had the privilege of seeing the risen Lord, the first one. So the tomb was empty. The Lord has been resurrected. First point. Second point. What is the other implication of the empty tomb? John 20, 17 says this. This is huge. As I, as I looked at the text here, John 20, 17. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. So Mary was holding on to her. I mean, Jesus was not some phantom or some ghost where she couldn't grasp. Jesus was holding on to her. My Lord, my love, I finally, I, I don't ever want to leave you. Please. You know, she's holding on. And she sa- he says, sir, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But look at what he says. Jesus says, but go to my brethren. Bible says, go to my brethren. This is the first time Jesus calls disciples, my brothers. Go to my brothers. Before that, you are my disciples, you are my servants, you're my slaves, I'm your master. Now he's calling them, my, go to my brothers now. The fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave validated everything. We became family with Jesus. He's, he calls us brother. He, call, he calls you sister. The resurrection, that implication meant that we're part of his family. Look what he goes on to say. And he says, go tell them uh, and say to them, I ascend to my father, your father. My God, your God. We're family. The fact that Jesus is resurrected, yes, amen, he's out of the grave. But this secured our sonships and us being daughters of God. And Jesus is our big brother. And I just, as I look at this text here, this is a massive, massive statement that Jesus is saying, Jesus is my brother. How do people respond to the resurrection? As I look into John and in the Gospels, uh, I see a couple types in in the Gospels, and some of them are in this in this narrative, but I, the first type that immediately comes to my mind is the Judas type. Right? Judas is the one, the tragic one, who sold the Lord off for, for some money, for some coins. Judas is the one that was hanging out with Jesus for three years, hanging out with Jesus, hearing Jesus' teaching. Hanging out with his people, his disciples, Mary as well. Judas is the one perhaps who's even doing miracles and doing things in the name of the Lord. Judas had his front row seat on who Jesus is. We know what happened to him. And then what happened is he gets convicted. Man, I did wrong. I, I sold innocent blood. What did he do? Did he repent? No. This led to dis- only led to despair and destruction. He hangs himself. He didn't understand the gospel. He didn't understand grace. 
He goes, oh, there's no way God could forgive me. This is the worst thing I ever did. Or could I ever done? I betrayed the Lord. And he hangs himself. He, he didn't get it. He evidently didn't get it. Are there any Judas types here? Have you been hanging out in church for a long time? Are you, do you know the Bible? Have you been part of a lot of Bible studies? Have you been on mission trips? Have you been serving? Perhaps you do not know the gospel. You don't know the grace that's poured out on his people, on, on God's people. Do you understand that God's grace is greater than any of our sins? Judas could have been restored. We realize this, right? He could have been restored if he repented. Because this is why I know he could have been restored. Peter. Peter shows up in this narrative here. And we love Peter. But we also know Peter was also acted as a Judas. He betrayed Jesus. Right? Jesus even says, you're going to betray me. And he gives them a heads up. And he still betrays them. Peter. Peter. What was Peter's background? He, had a, he was a successful commercial fisherman. He had, a good bit, he had a good livelihood. This is a good job that he had. Peter, who was, a, who was confident, he was self-confident. He's the one that goes running into the tomb. He's the one that is the one that cuts the ear off of Malchus. Confident. Well, Peter never in his wildest dreams could have thought that he would ever betray the Lord like that. Never. He even says, I'll never betray you. I'll, I'll die with you, Lord. And Peter is convicted of his sin. Does, he lead, does this lead to despair and destruction? No. He got humbled. This humbled him even more. And this led to a greater hope. This led to a greater devotion, a deeper devotion and love for Christ. This is Peter. Instead of him going the other way, this actually elevated his love because he was humbled. This man was humbled. And, and yes, Peter was faithful to the end. Peter was faithful to the end. He understood grace at a deeper level now. God, I did this to you. Even you gave me a heads up. Even what I confidently said, I'll never betray you. I will never turn my back on you. And then Peter broke in. I mean, the, I think in Luke it says that Jesus made eye contact with Peter and Peter wept bitterly. I mean, just can you imagine that scene? Have you been in that moment before? Have you been in that moment perhaps around friends, classmates, coworkers, where people are talking about God and you just, you don't say anything and you feel like, oh my goodness, I should have said something, right? Have you all been in that? I've been in that situation. Are there any Peters here? Perhaps you've let down the Lord. I've done that too. But this is why the resurrection, the implications of the resurrection is so powerful. Peter was never the same after Jesus sees him in John 21. We need John 21 for, for the likes of you and me. We need John 21. We can't let it end at John 20 and he's resurrected and that's it. Because Christianity is not a perfect life. We understand this. I know this. My family knows this. I find myself repenting constantly. I know this. You know this. We need John 21. We need restoration. Right? I'm so thankful for John 21. If you, know, if you don't want to talk about it, take time to read John 21. In, in, in Peter's brokenness, in his humility, his love for the Lord was elevated, catapulted to a whole different level. And it's just being humbled, and it allowed Peter to be useful even more to the master. 
even more to the master. Humble people are used by the Lord. Let's go back to Mary. We're just going to end, up, end off with Mary. Like we talked about it earlier, Mary had, for, had seven demons. I mean, who knows what she was like? Seven demons possessing her. I mean, that's, seven is a number for completion in the Bible. I mean, she's just completely possessed. Crazy, right? I mean, if you've been to Skid Row sometime in downtown L.A., I don't know if it's drug possession or demon possession. People are acting crazy down there. All right? I, I just think of somebody there, I, I, uh, seeing a lady there, missing teeth, crack pipe, all that. Uh, is, this, is this Mary Magdalene, the modern-day Mary Magdalene? I mean, it's a whole different world down there in downtown L.A. on 4th Street. But she was loyal to the end. Absolutely loyal to the end. We don't know, you know, if there was any uh, stumblings. Of course, she wasn't perfect. But she knew how far she's been brought. No one had to convince her that she was a sinner. No one had to convince her and kind of knock her off the pedestal, so to speak. She knew she was broken. I mean, that's why I've said this before. I love preaching in prison. I love preaching because you don't have to convince the prisoners there that they are sinners. You don't. Sometimes it's hard to preach in church more of, of the gospel. Sometimes we need convincing that we are all like Mary, right? We are all broken. We're just able to hide it better. We, all, we understand this. I understand this. But she's been brought through an incredible journey. And I, I think she's further down the road than Peter was in terms of her just understanding where she was and the weight of what Christ means to her. I think she was further down on that journey, spiritual journey because she knew she was a darkened sinner. She knew this. She, you did not have to convince her of this. Peter had a successful business. Peter was confident. Peter understood uh, who he was. He was sure of himself. Mary was nothing. She was going nowhere real quick. She was nowhere. And Jesus comes and absolutely restores her. And that's why the reality of Good Friday is critical. We have to understand the weightiness of sin. That why did it take... Uh, Jesus to go to the cross because that's how serious sin is. This is how serious our anger is. This is how serious our prideful thoughts are. This is how serious for our lustful thoughts are. Even if you never acted on these things, just thinking these things, we're absolutely corrupt human beings. That's how serious sin is. But Mary understood this. That's why Mary's love for Jesus was just glowing like crazy. Right? Mary understood how far Jesus had brought her. We're all Marys. I'm a Mary in that regard. But the different, we like to be humble like Mary, too. If you want to be useful to the master, this Christian life is not just for like, okay, I was a Christian, I live and I die, and that's it. You want to have maximum impact for Christ while we live on this side of eternity. There's so many things that we have going on this side of the turn that we will never be able to do on the other side. There's no more evangelism. There is no more discipleship. There's no more of that because we love Christ. We're completely glorified. There's, there, there are no, there's no sin. We're all believers in heaven. So if you want to have maximum impact for the king right now, you, let's be humble. God's humbling me. Your shepherd, God's humbling me. 
in my home life, God's humbling. I find myself repenting. Work life as a minister, humbling. I'm learn, trying to learn all kinds of stuff. Going, dealing with challenging things. God's humbling me. God's humbling and sanctifying your shepherd so that you could be humbled and sanctified as well. We want maximum impact for the kingdom. This is what this is about. You want to you make as many plays for the Lord while you can, while you're in this game called life. Because someday all you, want, you, all you and I want to hear is well done and good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful slave. That's it. And so this is where, what are the implications of, of being tomb being empty? Jesus' tomb is empty. That means our spiritual tombs are empty. We're no longer dead. We're out of that grave just like Lazarus. We're, we need to run for Christ. You're alive. And I just, I just want to just give a special word of encouragement for any Judases out there. If you know you're not in Christ right now, you know you don't believe in the gospel you know you don't quite understand what grace is. Repent. So I'm so sorry. No sin is big in, bigger than the grace of God. This is how powerful, this is how dynamic the resurrection is. It means everything. It validated every single thing, every single hope in our lives. So Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. If you only remember one thing for today, Christ is risen, guaranteed of our hope, done, signed, sealed, and delivered. That is the key. If Christ never rose from the grave, we'd be fools, the Bible says, the greatest fools that ever walked the earth. We believe in the risen Messiah. So whatever you're going through right now, it's worth it. Hard relationships, it's worth it. Battling through sin, it's worth it. Fighting for people's sanctification, it's worth it. Fighting for people to come to know Christ. Ultimately, it's up to the Lord, but you're doing your part. It's absolutely worth it. Giving up job promotions because of Christ, it's worth it. Giving up inappropriate uh, friendships, it's worth it. Right? This is what we're talking about. This is why we're a church family. This is why we come together as a family and go through this together. Remember, he says, my brothers, my sisters, I go to my father, your father, my God, your God. That makes us brothers and sisters because Christ, the head of the church, is our big brother. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. What a privilege it is to, uh, to uh, preach your word. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord Jesus. We love you. And I just pray for those right now that um, perhaps are struggling in faith right now, that they need encouragement. I pray, Lord, for any Peters right now, that, Lord, that they, this, the, any stumbling of sin or any issues that they have that's humbled them, that this will launch catapult, propel their love for you from one level of love to another, and they'll be more and more devoted to you. Father God, I pray for any Judas types right here, right now, who perhaps been part of this church for a long time and heard all the teachings, who have Bible study, who know this, who have a lot of Christian friends, but they know deep inside they're not of you. So God, I pray, Lord, that the gospel message of Christ Jesus, that you died for our sins, for our dark sins, and you were buried and you were raised to life again on the third day, will absolutely penetrate their hearts right now, and they'll turn to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, I believe, I believe. I will follow you as my Lord and Savior. I believe. 
So God, I pray, Lord, for assurance for those who make that commitment today, that they will have their hearts pricked and crystallize their faith in you, Lord, today. Father, I pray for those who are, who are married today, who have been humbled, who have been beat down. God, I pray that they will see this as a blessing, that they say, Lord, I am humble. I'm nothing without you. I need you, Jesus. I need to cling on to you. I don't want to let go. I'm going to cling on to you because you cling on to me even tighter. I pray for these Mary's types in here that we would find encouragement in you and that that there is a hopefulness that we are being prepared to do a work that you have planned before the beginning of the world. So God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive, you're resurrected from the grave. We love you. May our hearts be filled with wonder of what this actually means, that you're resurrected and that we are brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.